Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Irish Examiner Six Nations videocast. Uh, I have to say I'm delighted to be joined this morning by a journalist at Goldust. He saw his first Five Nations match in 1959. <laughs> uh, it was Ireland against England. It took what seemed forever to get from Derry to Dublin by train at the time. He reported on his first match in the Five Nations Championship as it was in 1965, Wales against Ireland in Cardiff. He's been covering the tournament since 1975. It's rare for me to get a man who was at a six, Five Nations game before <laughs> I was born. So, Jacko, you're more than welcome. Uh, Thank you, Donald. Scott, Rob- Thank you. Scott Robertson, thrilled that you could join us, I believe, from where are you at the moment? Queenstown. You're in the South beautiful Queenstown. Exactly. In the South Island of New Zealand, of course, everybody knows you as the magnificent coach of the Crusaders, multiple super rugby talents, uh, former New Zealand All Black. And, of course, you did spend a bit of time in the French uh, Championship playing with Perpignan. And uh, in the red of Cork, we have our own Ronan O'Gara, who spent uh, played for Cork Constitution in the All-Ireland League, and uh, maybe one or two other teams as well, like Munster Ireland, the British and Irish Lions. So, lads, delighted to see you. Uh, Jacko, I, I understand you're in Cardiff at the moment, and uh, you're showing your wisdom and your knowledge there. Every book you ever bought in your life is hanging off the shelf behind you. Uh, no, most of them, most of them, Donald, are about U.S. presidents. Oh. Uh, fascination for all things Americana. Very impressed. Uh, Roman's, Roman's book is somewhere there. Top about yeah. What about my book? There's another shelf in the other direction, Donald. Next oh, time yeah. I'll have the emphasis on that. For masterpieces. Good stuff. Were you, um, were you at a game or were you watching from at home in Cardiff over the weekend? No, I, I, I was watching, and if you if you feel there's a strange sound going on in the background here, it'll be the uh, the whole nation gnashing its teeth. Um, uh, I thought I thought it was wonderful. I, I some of the rugby that Ireland played, particularly in that first twenty five minutes, was breathtaking. I, you know, I I hesitate to say this because it sounds terribly knee jerk, but I don't think I'd ever seen an Irish team perform hit the angles of running, the dexterity, the tempo, the power, everything, 
uh, I thought it was just excellent. And people said to me here locally, well, what do you think? I said, well, it was kind of what I expected. The one surprising aspect of the game, Donald, was that um, it was so one-sided. I thought Wales would do very well to restrict Ireland to 25 points, to reduce them to fewer than four tries. In the end, the scoreline flattered Wales, not Ireland. Ireland were probably 40 points better. That's how Peter, good I think they were. You don't you don't get Sky Sports on Saturday mornings in Cardiff, do you, for the last five years? <laughs> You've never seen the Crusaders play. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking from an Irish point of view. Uh, no, no, sorry. Right. I've, I'm only being smart. There's one, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I tell you, when, when you mentioned that, I mean, Scott, uh, we're waxing lyrical over here, given the way the Irish forwards are playing at the moment. Uh, Andy Farrell took over from Joe Schmidt after the 2019 World Cup. Huge disappointment with the way Ireland played, having had a, a brilliant year 2018. They won a Grand Slam. They won a series down uh, against Australia. Uh, they beat New Zealand in Dublin in 18. You might have heard about that in New Zealand at the time. But uh, they didn't move on. Uh, in the last six or nine months, this Irish team has sort of, they're, they're playing rugby that looks a little bit alien to us. But, um, you know, if you step back, I mean, Brody Retallick as a forward, as a handling, playmaking forward, Brody Retallick broke the mould, if you like, in a New Zealand context a couple of years ago. Then your own, as, as Raj alludes to, your own Crusaders team, he won multiple Super Rugby titles, uh, you know, with the likes of Sam Whitelock, uh, Scott Barrett, Cody Taylor, uh, Nipolo Lala, uh, all front five forwards playing exactly the type of game that Ireland are trying to develop. Now, in New Zealand, was, was that something that you worked on for a long time? Does it help that New Zealand's forwards in general, have, New Zealand rugby people have, have incredible skill sets? But, uh, you know, can you just comment on that? And, you know, are you surprised at Ireland's development in the way they've been playing the game recently? That's a hell of a question. That's a long question, Donald. Wow. Um, I'm going to start. I want to make um, sure you're awake down there. Yeah, the... I'm going to cover it. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> at the length. I'll just start off I um, with from a little bit of my connection back to, to Ireland. I played, uh, I left school early and went and played up in um, County Down, so up in the north and played for a club called Ards. And I'd always used to travel down to. Uh, watch all the, the the Five Nations games back in those days down to Dublin and we'd spend the time, went down to um, Limerick. I never got far as Cork, but I, I've got a fond part of my memories and my, my heart and probably the first time I've ever had a double chin from all the Guinness I drank <laughs> in my life. But So I've got a fond memory and um, I just got a feeling, you know, when you watch the Irish game and how they played and the continuity and the cohesion, that it's all well and good, as Peter said, to have the skill set, to have the dexterity, but the, the clarity to be at the right place at the right time and the timing was incredible. And I think Andy Fowler's influence, a lot of the stuff that they're doing is rugby league. The way that rugby league, two extra guys coming out the back door, coming late, can stop a rush defence, and it can also get you on the edge because you'd lose your numbers because there's two extra coming. And how do you beat a league defence? You beat it with league attack. And so the Irish, um, a lot of their stuff that you see is from obviously his, his, his league background and um, the influence of Mike Hatt is the, is the yeah. attack, uh, coach. Yeah, attack coach. So um, the clarity of the roles and 
bring it back to sort of Crusaders New Zealand rugby. That's how we played when we were 16, 17, 18 at high school. We all want to be backs. We all want to be Kirsten Cullen. We all want to be Tana Umanga. So it's sort of quite natural to have those ball skills. Like I'm just not a line out forward. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give that miss ball, that miss pass, and then you get the James Ryan and James Ryan and you know Vanderfly who plays way heavier than he looks on the field. Jeez, he can play. Um, all of a sudden they've been given the freedom. They just they look like they've got a different. Well, they have got a different mindset and, and a trust in each other. That's got an incredible instinct. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly brilliant to watch. Raj, uh, from your time in with the Crusaders, and now you see what Ireland are trying to do, just how impressed have you been with Ireland? Uh, you know, going back to November when they beat New Zealand, uh, Argentina, Japan, and now carrying that through to the opening game in the Six Nations. Yeah, I think... Um... I also think it's probably been a work in progress, Donald, in the fact that I think there was definitely uh, a need for probably uh, an expansion of their framework of their game. I think for exiting, we were obviously uh, very frustrated with, with just box-kicking exits. And I think there is a role for that in the game, most definitely. But you look at the weekend and, and they're playing... Uh, passing the ball 90 metres from the opposition line. That's probably very different to what we have seen from from, from the boys in green. But um, I think Razor alludes to it in the fact that there's multiple threats now. Uh, yeah. I think something that blew me away was from going into the Crusaders, probably the skill set of the front five. And I know obviously with the with, with Paulie in, in the uh, in the Irish setup, now he he would have a big emphasis on on forward being able to handle the ball and passing it with ease left to right and right to left. So um, I think as as um, we've talked about, there's big trust in probably what we are doing, and, and they're on a roll. Is it nine games, nine victories in a row? So things in the past were probably challenges. Now they're very easy for them to to play with ball in hand, and and they have. Obviously, good kicking threats with um, uh, obviously Jenny with Gibson Park from attacking kicks, and also um, they still have either James Law or Mac Hansen to, to with the left foot option, which cannot be underestimated in Test rugby because the foot, the way defenses are set up nowadays, a lot of teams are putting, you know, what I mean, thirteen in the front line. So uh, identifying space is crucial, but being able to execute the skill is is, is just as important. I think um, Ireland. Uh, playing it, um, I suppose the big difference for me is, is 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 yeah their their ability to express themselves. I think they're doing that very well. Yeah, but I think there's there, there's also a sort of um, a feeling. You know yourself, a happy camp is a, a group that will play well, and that was very evident. The, the the most important thing for me that came out of the November series. I think Peter Romani made a comment that was the the happiest, the most cohesive squad they had had for a while. And when you consider that was in the midst of a, a COVID bubble, they were all locked together. Uh, they hadn't been able to, you know, when they travel abroad, the whole thing is so restrictive. Uh, but you, you, you get this sense of kind of expression. People aren't afraid to make mistakes. They all want to express themselves. And uh, it's been transformative. I mean, you know, I walked down, uh, walking to the stadium last Saturday, like there was a buzz around before the match. Uh, obviously, having huge crowds, like going to matches with nobody there for the past year has been a complete and utter disaster. You know, when you meet the uh, uh, the vendors, as you'd remember, going down uh, past the, the old Berkeley Court, 
and they're stopping you, they're hugging you because they can sell their scarves and their hats and it's back to normal. Uh, as as uh, Razor alluded to, the Guinness was flowing, there was a buzz around the place and it's, it's, it's almost as if we missed it so much. And then the quality of rugby that's been playing. I mean, we, you, you know yourself, having the right environment within a group is massive. And Ireland, whatever they're doing off the field, it certainly seems to be complementing the way they're approaching things on the field. Yeah, there's no doubt. I'll just jump, I'll just jump in. I think the reflection of the way they defended, like um, sort of a defence coach background, and obviously Ronan knows a little bit about that side of the ball as well. Is this what he did um, a lot for us when he came over to the Crusaders? And but the, how hard they work for each other, and a lot of the craft around the breakdown, they're good. They just hold it. They'll turn you off the down they've got great double shoulders uh, their discipline's high that they, 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 they like in, in regards to world rugby both sides of the ball they're so well coached look we analyze all the teams over there regularly because we're looking for a point of difference you know our game's fine margins and we're looking for opportunities so we, we know it's a detail the long edge attack and the long edge d are really big in rugby it's how do you defend it how do you defend the backfield in uh, the front field? It's so hard. But the understanding, they've got props for and from the edge, defending, running up high, turning in backs. Like, to do that, it's, um, you know, you, you have to have a highly cohesive team, a real a lot of high trust. They're, 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 you know, they're right up there with World Rugby. It's, it's really impressive. And it shows because they care about each other. They're obviously happy. Yeah, mm. and interesting you make the point about defence because despite all the attacking, the focus yeah. being on that, I think Andy Farrell said after the game uh, that Ireland's defence was the best part by a country mile. So, I mean, that just shows he, he's in tune with you. Peter, flipping over to um, to Wales, obviously not coming into the match. Certainly I felt I'd have been shocked if Ireland didn't win and didn't win well. I mean, there was an awful lot of emphasis on the you know, the seven or eight British and Irish Lions that Wales are missing. And let's be honest, any team that loses, Alan jones Ken Owens, Tipperick, uh, Falatau, uh, John Davis, George North, Lee Halfpenny, they're going to struggle. But there must be an element in Wales. All those guys, brilliant players. They're, a lot of them are in their sort of early to mid-30s. Then you see what happened in Cork, the, the, the Welsh... Uh, under 20s played Ireland and Ireland put 54 points on them. You see the districts seem to be in disarray in Wales at the moment. And, you know, in times past, we saw fellas, once they got into Welsh camp, they sort of grew 10 foot taller. They put on the red jersey and they were just uh, like men possessed. But I think, you know, when, you, when you're when you not performing week in, week out, and it's, it's kind of year on year that uh, nothing is happening in your provincial team, it has to have a long-term effect. Have we reached that point now with Welsh rugby? Absolutely. Uh, there, there was an uncanny similarity, Donald, between what happened last weekend and what happened on the very same weekend 20 years ago. 20 years ago, Ireland A lost, sorry, Ireland A beat their Welsh counterparts in Cork, eight tries to one, 55 22. And the next day, the Six, the, uh, six Nations game. Uh, Wales lost 54-10 and the Welsh management would have known well about that because two of those members were in that team Martin Williams in the back row Stephen Jones at standoff 
Uh, again, that was, I think, six tries to one, and it probably could have been six tries to nil uh, last weekend. Um, I think when you look at the way Irish rugby is run, uh, and there is a unity of purpose, uh, it's easier, of course, when the IRFU owns and employs everybody, uh, unlike in Wales. Uh, in Wales, uh, agreement is, is a word that they find very difficult to understand. Uh, the regions are all pulling in one direction, uh, the Welsh Rugby Union in another. In defence of the regions, which isn't always the most popular thing to do, I would say that there has been an, an unhealthy emphasis on Team Wales. And this goes back 10, 12 years to where everything seemed to be going into Team Wales. And nobody really had enough vision, in my humble opinion, to say, hang on a minute, you know, we've got to water the vine here because where does the next generation come from? And you've just made reference to what happened to the under 20s uh, in uh, Musgrave Park last Friday night, I mean, 53-5. The cupboard, I mean, old Mother Hubbard's was full of jam full of goodies compared to the state of Welsh <laughs> rugby here. And I think that, I mean, you mentioned Jonathan Davis, uh, Donald, who's been marvellous, you know, nearly 100 caps, but Jonathan Davis on current form uh, is is not worth his place. Then you mentioned Alan Wynne-Jones, 36, Ken Owens, 35, Tolupi Falatau, who was hardly ever injured when he played in Wales. Now he's had a lot of injury, hasn't played since the Lions Tour. Is he the player that he was? And how do you replace these players? And the only shining light from a Welsh perspective is Tane Basham, the, the open side. And I thought the most telling moment of the whole thing on, on Saturday at the Viva was early in the game, around about 15, 18 minutes, when there was an exasperated Josh Adams, all right, admittedly, you know, a high-class wing playing at outside centre. And he was like this, utter bewilderment. You know, we know what's coming, but we don't know where it's coming from. I mean, what do we do? Um, and in a way, that's not so much an indictment of Wales. It's meant more as a compliment to what Ireland were doing. And... Again, maybe Scott would, would be interested in this, would know far more about it than I do. But I thought what was terribly revealing after the All Blacks game last November was the All Black reaction. Donald, you well know when our teams go to the Southern Hemisphere at the end of our season and we get pasted, somebody will always say, well, it's been a long season. We're very tired. We'll see what happens at the World Cup. The All Blacks, to their credit, there was no hiding behind that. If you remember... Dane, I saw the Dane Coles interview and he looked like a man who was shocked at the manner of the defeat. And he was basically saying we couldn't live with their intensity. And unless we can fix that, we're not going to have much of a chance of regaining the World Cup. And, and um, uh, the skipper um, w was exactly the same, you know, sort of saying we feel the pain and we will keep this pain until next July when we play Ireland again. So... I think they were genuinely taken aback at how good Ireland were. Yeah, and I'm quite sure. Look, uh, it's got to be interested in your comments in that three-test series next June before we finish. But uh, I want to park last week's game because we, we, you know, what a match we have over the weekend, Ireland, France. But before I do so, just one comment on England, Jacko. Uh, Eddie Jones seems to be getting two barrels from right, left, and centre. Uh, English selection seems to be all over the place. I mean, they're they're still looking for a centre combination to replace Will Greenwood and Mike Tyndall since the 2003 World Cup. 
they uh, are, and they okay. they put a, they put a lot of store on Manu Tialangi, but but sadly Tialangi has been more injured than he's been fit. I mean, he he's on his way back. Uh, played at the weekend, so they couldn't maybe get him back quick enough. Uh, as you've said, Donnelly's been roundly criticised for taking uh, Marcus Smith off when he did. Now, it's it's easy to to, to view that through the prism of their uh, inability to to close the game out. But um, I think George Ford touched the ball once in open play in the 13 or 14 minutes that was left to him. So it wasn't so much, I don't think, the change at standoff that cost them the game. It was just their their inability to uh, to hold on to what they had. You know, should they have given that long-range kick to Daly? Could have made it 20-all. There would have been then time, perhaps, for another opportunity. It's, but, but yeah, I mean, England, when you think of what they've got, and, and they did have massive disruption, but their resources are such that you'd expect them something an awful lot better. I think it's, what, fifth time in six seasons that they've started off by losing. Uh, having said that, England at Twickenham will um, is, is is still a pretty a pretty formidable match, isn't it for anybody? Absolutely, and, and Raj, I'm interested in your take in terms of uh, Marcus Smith, George Ford. Obviously, um, Eddie Jones had left him out of the English squad, and then was forced to bring him back in. But I think uh, you'll remember a young boy making his debut in Green, who. Uh, uh, was was called ashore with about twenty minutes to go in 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 a number of games early on. So I think you might appreciate where England were coming from. Um, but what was your take on that? Because yeah. it's a, it's attracted a huge amount of comment. Yeah, it's very interesting from a coaching point of view. What do you do? But I just think that um, Marcus Smith's time is now. I don't think it's the future. I think he has over a hundred odd appearances for Harlequins. He's kind of, I think. Uh, refined his game at club level. What we've seen from him in an England jersey is that he's more than capable of stepping up and I think probably um, thriving in a, in a white jersey. I really, really think that this guy is very, very special. You look at the acceleration for, for that try that he scored, very few people will have the timing, I suppose, and the vision to kind of pick that moment to, to go in unscathed. A lot of people may have to break a tackle in that situation, but his, I think, elusiveness and his capacity to see space is, is a few seconds ahead of a lot of people. Um, you could understand what they were trying to do, I would say. For me, that change is, is a logical change. If it's uh, Farrell for Smith, not Ford for Smith, I don't think... Um, Ford uh, gets the same reaction from his players or from the opposition. I think if someone like Farrell is coming on to replace Smith, I think that's an area of, okay, we got the daddy here looking after the young pretender in, in that regard. Uh, but for me, I, th- I thought uh, Smith was up and running. He was going. And uh, there was probably a lot in what you said in the previous discussion. I was in, I think... Uh, was it Yokohama for that semi-final of England? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that was a day where English rugby dismantled New Zealand. It was fascinating to be in the ground to watch what happened. Uh, the English back row, I think the tempo of the English game, the wit they put in the game, I, I, I thought it spoke volumes for for what was good in English rugby. We're, we're obviously uh, very quick in Ireland to criticise um, our, our near neighbours, but being in the ground live and watching that performance, 
it kind of spooked me and shocked me a bit to go, okay, this is the this is where New Zealand are good and they're at their best in a rugby World Cup semi-final, but there was only one team on the park uh, and, and England were hugely deserving uh, victors on that occasion. To come up with the centre combination, I think, yeah, Tuolagi will definitely have a role, but it'll be interesting, I, w- I would say, you know I mean, Smith, uh, Farrell, Tuolagi, Slate, they have seriously good players, so I wouldn't be too worried for them yet. Yeah, but look, we're not, we're, we won't be crying too much for them anyway. And, uh, you know, fair, fair, do, <laughs> no, fair dues to Scotland for winning. Uh, Scotty Rogers always painted you as the kind of a, the, the glass half full kind of guy, the guy who's always looking to bring on the younger guys. Um, just uh, what was your take on England, Scotland? Uh, Marcus Smith is, is a young guy who's sort of torn things up over here in, in uh, the Gallagher Premiership. Uh, but on the flip side, then in Scotland, I thought when the game, <clears throat> I didn't think Scotland played overly well. They were in trouble for long periods of the game. But in the last quarter, when the game was there to be won, I thought Finn Russell just grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck. Uh, just what was your view on it from down under? Oh, look, every time I watch Marcus Smith play, I feel like I'm watching Richie Mawanga. Um, as you see, the acceleration that he's got. Just the Ankele ability to um, beat someone with his feet two metres beforehand, puts them on their heels, just sleight of hand, the vision. So he's a special, he's very, very special. Um, it's great, you know, he can bring a new generation of England rugby through just the, with the way well, he plays and sees the game. It's quite cool too because he, I, I like him. He's got his own little characteristics. He's got a little flick of his hair. He's got a little bit of swag and I quite like that. Um I know he's bringing himself on the field. That's probably the key. But the, I um, I think Eddie would like that last twenty minutes back again. <laughs> I, you know, in reflection time as a coach, sometimes you make the calls and and you realise that you, you wish you could have wound that back. There's no doubt that he had a lot of the momentum, um, and he took you know that key player off. It's quite interesting. Um, I just think Scotland held tough and won those couple of key moments, and I think um. The crowd and a couple of calls, the ref sort of went their way and that was a game done. So, game of moments. Yeah, but so often in, in Six Nations games, they turn on, on very small mm. margins. I mean, the Cohen Dickey thing. Uh, I mean, when you have your two hands in the air, I mean, even if you're oh, making... Cool, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean if, if you have two yeah. hands in the air, it's easier to catch the ball or at least in the act of catching it. If you drop it, it's a knock-on, it's a scrum. I mean... I with with all the professionalism, all the preparation. There's times that I think modern players don't even know what the laws of the game are. It, I mean, it, was, it was unbelievable. Sorry, Donald, to interrupt you. Just as you said, like Scott is looking for a point of difference uh, in the fact that uh, games hinging. Like to be fair, it was a speculative kick at best. We all in agreement on that. It was half a Gary Owen, half a cross kick. Like. For for um, England to give up a yellow card and a penalty try off and on uh, hail mary ball in the air like they were licking their lips it could not have worked out any better because it, for for me the Scottish winger had noise on the ball he had little interest in getting that ball it could have it could have bounced anywhere and then for them to end up with yellow card penalty try <laughs> taking the lead it was like oh we've won the lotto here let's get back to halfway brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it was an, a, a, an incredible moment. Uh, 
I just want to focus a little bit. Uh, we won't go into France and Italy. Uh, we know France weren't at their best. They had 12 players had to leave camp because of COVID issues. Uh, I know Sean Edwards was talking about uh, the very little preparation time on the pitch. Scott, uh, I, just, you know, for somebody, you were obviously, you were enthralled by France when you lived there. You mentioned earlier on, some of your kids have French names because uh, they were born in the south of France. Uh, Ireland and France beat New Zealand in November. We all know New Zealand at the end of a very long season. France, if we're honest, were even more impressive in their defeat of New Zealand than Ireland were. What's your take on French rugby at the moment? And where do you see them 18 months out from the World Cup? Well, they're in high spirits. Obviously, the the, the under-20s under team that did well probably four or five years ago won <coughs> the World Cups. Have, um, they've come through. And it's quite interesting, the cohesion model, that they a lot of those guys that played together now are playing in the national team. And what Peter was saying before, you haven't got that at the moment, have you, with Wales. And you can see a lot, they've got depth in a lot of positions. Uh, Ronan will know that from coaching there, that um, whereas before a lot of foreigners would have get, taken a lot of the depth away, but now, you know, they go three or four deep and ten, and you've got the best nine in the world. Um, you've got powerful backs. The way they play, they're still French style. They're, they've got a little bit of order, but they prefer to play in chaos. <laughs> they prefer to offload and come in the corner, and it's hard to defend them. You don't actually sort of know. I don't know if they know they're doing what they're doing sometimes, but they just play with so much freedom. When you get a confident French team like that, and um, that you know, this good set piece, um, good charismatic young players playing at home, you know, it's set up beautifully for them. Yeah, they're in a good place. And, and Peter, you've been watching French rugby for a long time. I mean, for 20 years there, they kind of lost the plot in France. Uh, the clubs were dominant. Uh, the, the national team players were coming in almost flogged to death. They haven't won a Six Nations since 2010. I mean, it's incredible when you look at the the, the strength and depth. Uh, I think Laporte, with the World Cup in mind, uh, you know, they're changing the number of players, French qualified players who have to be available for every matchday squad in the top 14. There's been a revolution in French rugby. And, you know, as neutrals, if you take out our Irish interest, uh, I've always loved French rugby. I was on the receiving end of many a good hammering in the old part of France when Blanco and Sella and the rest of them were going ballistic. They're getting back to that point, but yeah. with structure, organisation, and maybe discipline is about the only thing they're missing at the moment. I remember, Donald, uh, 20 years ago going there uh, with Ireland on a Grand Slam under Keith Wood, and I think it was, what, 44-5. Um, and yes, and I think that the biggest single blow to the Six Nations has been the fact that France have gone able for so long and that they were not only non-contenders, but a lot of their rugby was pretty grim to watch, wasn't it? It was almost as if they'd become obsessed with, we must be like Les Anglais, we must have this discipline and we can't do this and we can't think outside the box. And I think their rugby was, was pretty dire to watch for a very long time. Uh, not now, of course, uh, and, and it's wonderful to see them back. Uh, I think, wh wh while I think that the Irish front five is the best in the world, and, and, and it's so good that you could now make out a case, I guess, for a change 
in one of those second row positions. You could make out a case for Ian Henderson coming back instead of uh, Tag Hay. Uh, sorry, uh, Tag Burn. Tag Burn. Yeah. And, and and you think, hang on a minute, that's 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 sac that's sacrilege. You can't say that given the way Burn played last weekend. But I think that's the kind of uh, riches that Ireland have in certain departments. Having said that. I think Wokey and Paul Wilempsey, I think they are absolutely brilliant. Wokey in particular, I think, is a phenomenal player. He does everything at high speed, supreme athlete, does the hard stuff. Um, but having said that, Donald, uh, and I know every game is different, but uh, Ireland were a cut above anything else <coughs> for those first round matches. Yeah, and look, you mentioned the second row in particular. I, I, obviously, I'm interested in the French Raj. They go with this kind of detractor and they go with the hybrid. I mean, the hybrid has been Waki or, or uh, Leroux, who I think is injured, is he? Uh, yeah, I, I think there's talk of him coming back in potentially this week. Is there? Yeah, but you've uh, you've Willemse and Taufafanua, who between them, I think, are about 48 stone. Um, so it's just it's just unbelievable. Tell us the mood in France. Obviously, last week, I think they weren't at their best. Um, but immediately after the game, I saw an interview with Sean Edwards and there was smoke coming out his ears. He was already focused in Ireland. Uh, I, I, personally, I think it's bad news that they didn't play anywhere near their capacity. Uh, the halfbacks who've been outstanding for Toulouse, as you know well, uh, we know Dupont and, and, and both Entomac, they had COVID. They looked a bit off the pace. Uh, where do you think they are or was Saturday or last Sunday's performance was that a kind of a, a means to win and there was also talk in France that they actually trained the team very hard they were away with the foreign legion almost you know preparing for the, the Irish game where do you see where exactly are they no I think the, the two lads have summed it up well in the fact that uh, they actually do put a huge emphasis on this art unstructured play, chaos coming alive in that. You look, I think, perfect example uh, of of them probably, like for opposition defences to set up to, the, is it the uh, Gregory Aldred offload to Gabon Villiers? Like that, that, that's just them just playing freely because they just kind of accelerate their game. But like that's, you mean, it's going to be fascinating, I suppose, the clash of styles this weekend and the fact that you'll have a really organised attack framework against a completely chaotic uh, jeu de boue, uh, express yourself in the Frenchies, just just going for it, but actually putting tempo and speed on their game. But they actually train that. They train that a lot in the fact that those scenarios wouldn't be the first time they've seen them. In the f but what could be different is the personnel with the ball because they all have a licence to offload whenever they want. And Peter's point is interesting for me too in the fact that they're probably frustrated with foreigners coming in and the fact that, yeah, we're never going to be disciplined like the, the English or the Anglo-Saxon, the Irish people. But that really doesn't interest us. I think the French, they have their identity back. They know what they stand for. They know how they want to play. Uh, Entem and Dupont have had... Uh, this will be their third game. So they've kind of played... Uh, Toulouse, Racing together, they played France, Italy together, and as a halfback combination, uh, they are very, very exciting and very good. I think Dante in the midfield will be a loss, uh, but as you know, it's uh, up front where it will be decided. But uh, to be fair, the weather conditions on Sunday were horrendous, Donald. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, 
when it's raining in soccer or in football, it's kind of the same. <clears throat> raining in rugby nowadays with kind of line speed and defences and to actually catching the ball, it's quite difficult. It, it makes the game very, very different. Uh, but I had a look at the weather forecast. I think Saturday in Paris is meant to be sunny. Right. Yeah, my wife is going to Paris with me. She has the forecast out. She's not going to the match. It's beautiful Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So uh, that's all that matter. I tell you, you've come a long way from Model Farm Road. Jou de Boo. Jou is just playing, staying. Jou de Boo is the French, as Razor will tell you, they don't like rocking. Ireland are fascinated yeah. with the rock. Our, the French, they don't want to fall. So keep the ball alive. Keep it, keep it upright. Run... Have a bit of puff on there, which means depth and coming on to the ball. And you look at that perfect for, for the, the Villiers try, but there's there's that in examples all the time. So they they love unstructured player while I suppose with the Anglo Saxon model, there's a where you see with Ireland now, all of this is organizing the fact when they go to wit, it's probably option A, B, and C. When the French go to wit, it's just play crazy breakneck speed massive boys antonio Tamafina, uh aldridge just hitting lines the two nearest to them trying to get to them so that they'll stay upright and they play the ball out of the tackle and that means that they're kind of their 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 speed of the pass will always beat the speed of the man because how they see it and and it's scientifically proven if you want to uh pass the ball across the pitch that's faster actually than one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Just take it up on that point there, Scott. Uh, just how big an influence had French rugby on you when, you know, you played out there? And the element that you brought back to New Zealand, and where, like, where do you see this French team now? Where do you think Ireland could be in trouble on Saturday? Uh, help. Yeah, it was great for me going to France to play for because I could. I was crusadified. So, like, we won multiple championships. I played there for eight years. The way we, you know, we were coached by Wayne Smith and Steve Henson and Robbie Deans. I amazing probably three best coaches in world rugby over you know over a period of time so i had them with their um their methods um and then went over and had a a coach called olivia cesse la tigre they called him the tiger and he coached we had one coach for the forwards and backs so we had three or four coaches home he did everything and so the trainings were, you know, the Fords would be in the gym and the backs would, you know, would swap over their roles and we'd come back out on the field um, and, and he'd do both and then do the team together. But what he did, he taught us a style, it was more around the philosophy of the game. And he says, you to poo, which just means to boot, stand up, stay in the air. And um, it made you look. 
so you're always looking for the option whereas you know you're looking for the the contact or looking for for um the space around you but we train differently we we played differently the mall was used as a combat you know as war the identity of Pepignon, it started Marjorie with the crowd of scoring a mall try was just as much as scoring a hundred meter try they just mm. the passion around it so what I get is I understood the, the way the Crusades do it was just one way. The way with the France were doing it was their way. So you need the diversity, the understanding of what there are different styles, there are different ways to play. Um, it's just different. It's not right or wrong. So with my coaching style and philosophy, we actually train chaos. We use those words. You know, we train order, so we've got structure, um, but we've got the ability to use our um, our sense and game understanding as much as um, being highly organised. And that's what we talked about when we started back with Ireland, didn't we? You know, the ability with Ireland to have a little bit more um, ability to just to play what's in front of them, but also be highly structured. Yeah, and just if I could uh, get your take on, on uh, and that's the way France and Ireland are playing, playing out of the tackle, keeping the ball alive, kicking that little bit left, but yet, I have this feeling on Saturday, you go back to the French, like the scrum is still a massive element in the French game. Uh, you can see it when the reserve front row came on last uh, last Sunday. They wanted to punish Italy first. Uh, the French line-out mall, now I think it could have been better organised. It was a bit all over the place, to be honest, last weekend, but I expect it to be better. Uh, with all the flair and all the ability to, to keep the ball alive, I think that this set-piece battle on Saturday could be huge, scrum in particular. Like, if you're the French, I could just see the likes of Sean Ivers telling uh, the likes of Cyril Bay and, and uh, Marchand, uh, Ronan's uh, Antonio, who's about another 24 stoner, you know. Everyone's talking about Furlong, Kelleher and Porter. They're the best front row in the world. I can see France really having a go off them in the scrum. Yeah. Oh, and like I was saying before, in the mall and the mindset, they, you know, that's the that, that's the combat of war that they love that that stuff. You, you know, you ne they always say to me, you never have a foreign coach, or maybe South African, or I should say that coach a French scrum because they don't actually ever get their mindset to it. Right, like, you, you can go anywhere as long as it's Ford. <laughs> <laughs> That's what was, was I think, Bernard Gouda said it to us, our, our, our captain on one of the coaches. <laughs> I was like, okay, mate, that's pretty simple. And <laughs> and, and that's it. That's what they do. And, it might yeah. not be and, and normally, well, certainly in the old days, by, by whatever means was necessary to go forward. But they had to that's kick it. That's the point. And, and, that, yeah. and that's the point, and that's where they love it. And that's a great thing around the French and the contrast of styles. And, you know, it's a, it's a massive game. Or anyone that loves rugby will be watching this weekend. I know how important this game is. And, um, you know, down in the Southern Hemisphere, we noticed, we understand the quality of the game. As I started at the top of this podcast was the quality of all that rugby. You know, it, it has definitely improved because their mindset to the game's changed and the skill set has gone with it, their ability to play. It's it's exciting for world rugby. Yeah, it certainly is. And, uh, you know, when you uh, when you look at it, Jacko, I mean, part of that whole transformation, the, the management group that France have now, Fabien Galtier, 
Uh, we spoke about Sean Edwards, but I think Rafa Ibinez as well, a former French captain, uh, played under Edwards and Warren Gatland uh, in that very good Wasps team that, that Roger would have come up against. Uh, they've seen to, they've combined the old traditional values that Scott is alluding to within the French, but they've put a bit of organisation, sophistication, pride. It's clear from the crowd, the way La Marseillaise was sang last Sunday, you could see the French are behind this team. So is, is Saturday then a must win for this French team, given that they're in their third season as a management group and they've finished second in the last few seasons? Absolutely. Uh, just mentioning Rafael Ibanez, Donald, uh, uh, Donald I, I knew him reasonably well during his time at Wasps. Uh, a real warrior. I know that's a phrase that we chuck about uh, a little bit carelessly. Uh, with abandon at times, but but really does apply in his case. And fascinating, listen to Scott about the front rows. You know, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the French bunker when they get round to talk about Tag Furlong or Andrew Porter. I mean, I am the last man in the world to talk about the mechanics of the front row, but I know that it is extremely difficult to become outstanding a tight head, and then be equally outstanding on the other side of the scrum. And if you go back, Donald, to to, to people like Jason Leonard, Le Leonard was one of the very few who mastered that. But Andrew Porter's done it, what, in a matter of months. I mean, he was, what, loose head, loose head reserve at the end of the Six Nations last year. And he's now gone to be, there is nothing this guy can't do. And how how will the French? What will the French say about Furlong? You know, he's like Nureyev in 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 eighteen stone and size eleven boots. It's it's so. I would have thought that would take up an awful lot of uh, their time. But yeah, I suppose given that the game is is in the Stade de France, they'll say we have to make home advantage tell. And I think it, it's also. I mean, history sometimes gives you a bit of a clue, doesn't it? What since. That famous game in 72, you know, when, when Ireland were denied the chance of a Grand Slam because of the the bloody Sunday in, in, in my hometown and, and things that happened after that. Since then, only four Irish wins, and yet they've all been this century. You know, go back to Brian O'Driscoll's hat-trick and, uh, and, 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 and the more recent wins. So uh, I, w I would say, if anything, uh, that France would be more, even more worried about Ireland than... Ireland are about France. I don't know what, what Roland thinks. Peter, I'll just jump in there. You're just talking about props playing both sides. You know Ronan could kick off both feet, though, eh? At <laughs> <laughs> the same time. <laughs> you try that. Yeah. No. Just, and he's still oh, screwed up. <laughs> um, well, the thing, the thing about Porter, Porter was actually a loose head underage, played Ireland 20s at underage as a loose head prop. He actually transferred from loose head to tight head, which is a more difficult transition. When you're tight head, you're pinged in between the opposition loose head and the hooker. So it's a massively different shift to go from loose head sure. to tight head. And yeah. he, he mastered that. So I think the actual transition back to the loose head side is obviously, I'd say it was almost redeeming for him because we know how good he is with ball in hand. And it just gave him that slight little bit more freedom. But... Um, uh, it's it's a massive luxury for Ireland to have. There's no no doubt about that. Uh, Raj, I mean, Peter has brought up 2000. I mean, that was an iconic day for for all of us. Out of nothing, um, you, you know, for you as a young lad to go to the Stade de France 
Ireland hadn't won there since, was it 69? Ray McLaughlin's famous try. Um, 72, Donald, I think. 72, 72 under sorry. Tommy Kiernan. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, wow. But Raj, just, just you know, before we, before, and, and I'm interested in your take from a, a specific angle on uh, Saturday, but just to put it in context, how sweet it is to have a win in Paris on your CV as an Irish international. I, might, I played in the Parc de France five times for Ireland, uh, never won there. Uh, like the French in the old days, they were such a different animal in Paris than when you played them in Dublin. Uh, it was just poles apart. But uh, just your, your, your take on that day in 2000 before we start talking about uh, next Saturday. <laughs> I actually, um, it was great, but I don't, I don't remember too much about it, Donald. It's weird. I uh, kind of, um, when you're young, well, probably think it's going to be normal <clears throat> because you're you're fearless. You're going to Paris. You're you, obviously the anti-national, <clears throat> and you respect the history. But you're, I think, uh, the mindset you had created in that team with five new caps was kind of okay. This is our time. Let's go and win. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised you don't remember a whole lot about it because I remember trying to drag you out of bed on the Sunday morning to get you on the bus to get you back to Cork. <laughs> That's that was the most more difficult. Thing. You're allowed to have a few pints when you win, Donald. That's all. <laughs> true, isn't it? You, you, you certainly are. Well, I think uh, just, uh, this weekend, I think as you said it, like it's uh, it'll be a massive belt for France if they don't do the business. I think the fact that it's at home, the World Cup is around the corner. Uh, as you said, 2010 was the last time they've they've won the Six Nations, so they've kind of made this a little bit of a stepping stone on the road to hopefully being victorious in the Rugby World Cup. But um, Ireland are coming in, um, you know what I mean, with a great performance under their belt, but home advantage is is hugely, hugely important. So and from a France's point of view, uh, that probably heaps the pressure more on them. So the First ten minutes is going to be crucial, absolutely yeah. crucial. Yeah, I, I can ask. Sorry, sorry Scotty. Yeah, I'm sorry think, it's going to be interesting how how disciplined France can be. Like that's the that's the part because this is like a you know top echelon test match. How disciplined and how long can they keep their heads for in their structures, like defensively? Because you know Ireland likes to hold the ball and they're great at the breakdown, and if they can get impatient or they give a couple of penalties away and momentum goes, the, the French team will, you know, potential struggles they have in the past. Like, I'd just like to see the maturity of the squad, how much they trust um, Sean Edwards' um, defensive structures. And th this is what they want to learn about themselves. Because, you know, World Cup's normally one on defence. And they're going to do a lot this week. So that's the exciting part. That's what I'll be watching. We know the French can score, but can they defend and keep disciplined? Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because what I was going to ask you, Raj, given the way that Ireland are playing, given the sort of, uh, the, the way they play with the two lines of attack, defenders have to make decisions on the spur of the moment. They've got to read what's in front of them. So put yourself in Sean Edwards' shoes as the French defence coach this week. How do you prepare to play against this Irish team from a defensive point of view? Yeah, I think also too, you're probably seeing Ireland winning an awful lot of collisions in the last six months. It could be very different on Saturday. You've got big men in blue jerseys that hit hard. 
So it's very rugby is very very different on the front foot. Very easy for your half backs, but uh, it'll probably be uh, starting from zero with this game and the fact that there'll be uh, carnage at the start of the game or, or along the gain line. You know what I mean? Joss van der Fleer picks brilliant lines, but with the physics, if Winnie Antonio carries the ball, he's going to make more of a dent on the gain line than van der Fleer is. If that, because sometimes there just isn't space. Because in the first 10 minutes, you won't have anyone fatiguing. Uh, it'll be after that, as Razor said, can Ireland continue with that tempo? And will France kind of uh, make ill-disciplined decisions, which will result in either three points or scores? I think, but you don't underestimate what we've seen France in the Stade de France so far is that they've they've been hard, a very difficult team to break down. New Zealand tried it at times, got a little bit of joy, but you referenced early in, in the conversation that probably France's performance was more impressive than Ireland's when we look at those um, performances. The New Zealand the game. Yeah, but, but now we're a few months later, COVID has hit France, the timing of the halfbacks, I think something that has to be said is that Jalibert not there for the last 30 minutes is is, is a huge loss to France. He's someone that, that creates uh, carnage in um, in the opposition defence, just his acceleration. Very few people in world rugby have it. And I think he will most definitely be a loss. Uh, um, but I think where Sean Edwards will have confidence in the fact that uh, getting their, I suppose, line speed and the fact that they have, I suppose, very good defenders, uh, that makes, I mean, if the ball is, uh, Ireland have been very, very impressive because of their rock speed, but if that slows by an extra second on average, it's a very, very different game. You've got two kind of, I suppose, phases to, to uh, make a dent on the opposition uh, defence. Otherwise, you've got to kick the ball in modern rugby, Donald, and the fact that uh, it's easy to play when you're winning collisions and on the front foot, but uh, France have been very good in that regard so far. Yeah, they certainly have. And, and flip it back to Ireland, Jacko, uh, a, a luxury of sorts when you consider um, Ian Henderson is available, we think. Uh, Robbie Henshaw, who played the three test for the Lions, the player of the season last year. Do you stick or twist in... Uh, in, in selection, or do you do you bolster your bench by keeping your team and putting Henderson and, and Robbie on the bench? Uh, good question. Um, the old adage is never change a winning team, but as, as, as Roland has said, the extra physicality which Ireland are going to encounter on, on, on Saturday, does that then mean that you say, right, we, uh, we go for a bit more physicality and we pick Ian Henderson? Uh, assuming, of course, that Henderson is fully fit. Uh, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Henderson fan. I think he's a terrific player. I thought, you know, he was the kind of natural successor to uh, to Paul O'Connell in so many respects. Uh, and you know, Clive Woodward, who who let's be fair, is is still the only <clears throat> European coach to actually win the World Cup. He always said that going to a World Cup, you really had to have 30 players who were interchangeable. In other words, you had two 15s who were just about as good as each other and the All Blacks have, have shown the value of that over the decades. Yeah. I think Ireland probably now are closer to that than at any stage they've been. I, You know, you mentioned Henshaw didn't play, Henderson didn't play, and there's so many other outstanding players on the fringes. So I'm not saying they've got two 15s who would go and play France, but, but they're getting there. 
And last weekend, Donald, prior to last weekend, I would have thought France will make home advantage tell, France will beat Ireland, but uh, I know, I'm, I've now flipped it. I, I think Ireland was so good that um, I, I, I really do think that they'll carry on winning on Saturday. Not be yes, the first time that'll be proved and made look foolish, but there you go. <laughs> well, when you're at it for 100 years, you're bound to be wrong. <laughs> you're bound to get some <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> Scotty, just uh, before I take your, your, your kind of take on the match, who you think is going to win it, uh, it's clear the, the influence that, that playing in France has on you. It kind of sh it shines out through you when you speak. Uh, you know, you have come out in the past and said it's an ambition of yours to, to coach in Europe, uh, be it in France or in, in the UK or Ireland. Uh, I mean, there is a vacancy in Munster. I don't know. Did you notice it in the newspapers or anything? Have you any interest in coaching up in, in, in this part of the world, either now or at some stage in the future? Uh, you'll hit up that way. I did have talked to Mick O'Driscoll, my old mate, about it. Um... But look, it's, the time is not right. I've got a couple more years in, uh, down here in uh, New Zealand. Um, so, you yeah, look, it's it's quite unique, Donald and Peter Jackson. Um, we got Peter Jackson, we had a famous um, movie writer called Peter Jackson. You two remind me of like your Wikipedia guys, man. You, you've got your knowledge is unbelievable. You're <laughs> scat coming out of your like, it's incredible. I, well, I think it'd be a few people might disagree with you, Scott, but very kind of you to say so. <laughs> Basically, news, but that, um, oh, it's, sorry, I don't even know where I started there. What was I talking about? Um, oh, talking about the desire to come. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to. It's just, um, you know, we've got, Jane and I've got three young boys that, you know, the youngest is 13. So we, we're just trying to make sure that we give them every opportunity to, to grow up in New Zealand and, opportunity as coaches like it doesn't very it's not very often you get to choose do you Ronan exactly where you want to go and what you want to be and you know and what club we want to have but fortunately I've coached a team that I played for and really passionate about with the Crusaders so I played them for eight years and now I'm my sixth year coaching them. and that's unique you don't you look anywhere no one hardly gets to do that so to leave some of this place is you know, it'd be really tough to do, but I'm also ambitious. Um, you know, I want to change um, how people think about coaching, um, how they do coach, uh, and I'll have to do that to go to the Northern Hemisphere. I'll have to challenge myself, get out of my comfort zone, understand how I can add to the current culture that is there, uh, and, um, you know, do something on the big stage. Yeah. Yeah, but... Unfortunately, you don't see that happening in the short to medium term. Uh, the, the big one will be 24 rugby, after the Rugby World Cup. See what happens here with the All Blacks. I, I, you know, do I coach another club or do I go and coach a country? You know, why would I coach another club? You know, like I, I've got the best club in the world, I, I believe. Um, what would keep me here would be a World Cup challenge. I'd love to take the Crusaders yeah. and have a crack at La Rochelle. <laughs> or, or whoever uses Europe wins Europe. I'd love to be able to go if it is Leinster or, you know, if it is Toulouse. Yeah. I'd love to be able to go and truly find out the, the styles of rugby and, you yeah. know, we, so, of All Blacks, we could run out 13 All Blacks in, in, in a big game. And that's what people want to see. That's what people want to know. 
And yeah. you know, I want to about myself as a coach as well, if coach in one of those pinnacle games. So the next one what really intrigues me is Test Match Rugby. Um, you know, I can bring the best out on people and I'd love to, to do it for, for, for New Zealand, but if it meant I had to go to another country before I came back to New Zealand, I'd, I'd do it for sure. Oh, look, that, that, that's brilliant and I can understand that. But look then, just uh, finally your take on, on, on Saturday, Ireland or France for you? If, like I mentioned before, if France are disciplined, I think their passion will get them home. If, if, if Ireland control the ball, good luck to France. Yeah. Yeah. Raj, you're, you're in the backyard down there. Although I understand you're up in the Pyrenees at the moment doing a bit of skiing or something. Uh, will you, will you be in? Yeah. I wouldn't want to rob a bank with you, Don, would I? <laughs> <laughs> you, you weren't. Uh, are you in the stand to France on Saturday? Uh, I don't know. I probably have. Uh, it depends. I, I leave here tomorrow. I get back to work. Uh, we're not going through a great patch at the minute. So this is good to clear the head, get a plan for There's 10 games left in top 14. Europe is only starting. So it feels like I think there's what about 45% of the season left in France. So uh, yeah. just uh, got to get the vision right now and the fact what, where we're going. And uh, just, just, just when you're talking, sorry, about uh, just about. Uh, the top 14, and, and before I get your, your final take on Saturday, that bizarre end to your game against Biritz last weekend, I mean, it's gone viral on YouTube. Uh, two balls on the field, an attacking five-metre scrum, two outcomes. You might just explain what happened. Oh, but I think for, Peter would know this better. This is, this is par for the course. It happens nearly in every round of top 14. There's one... Um, Hail Mary story and unfortunately it was us this weekend. It was um, a line out near the end of the game or in extra time, and sorry, in additional time and uh, they went for a line out drive and uh, I think some member of the crowd kicked in a ball on the pitch. So uh, the ball, the course of the ball came in kind of underneath the line out drive and came out our side. So three of the players... Uh, dived on the ball, Carbarlo kicked it out and started celebrating, thinking the game was over. And the Barrett Hooker peeled off and scored in the corner with the match ball. So there was bedlam. And so uh, the game was restarted with um, a, a scrum for us. Uh, and essentially, it was, um, well, as I know, it wasn't game over because we got penalised at the scrum. So penalty. <laughs> Penalty, oh. it's yeah. Uh, even for even though we kind of called Channel One, but we still got pinged uh, because literally it was over. So you just literally nine kicks the ball out. Uh, yeah. Penalised scrum time, and then three minutes later they they scored, uh, win the game. So um, yeah, good way yeah. coming up. To Only in France. Pardon. Mm -hmm. Only in France. Can't skip yeah. that. That's yeah, well, you've got to have a look at it straight away, Scott. It's well worth watching unless you're in um, Roger's boots. Uh, anyway, listen, sorry for inflicting that little bit of pain. Uh, just your final views on, on, on Saturday. Uh, France, uh, is there an element, just one question um, before you give your verdict. With Entomac, like you were a kicker all your life. You It was part and parcel of your psyche for a game. The fact that uh, Jaminet is now doing the place kicking for France. Um, you know, that's an area of responsibility that Entomac seems, you know, has lost. Does that impact on a 10 and your whole mindset going into a game? 
Yeah, it does most definitely, yeah, I think, because all tens are competitors, they want that responsibility, they love it, they live for it, but uh, I think I was blown away by one statistic, I'm not really that into statistics, but um, uh, Jaminet, I think up to the first round of the Six Nations, had kicked 34 from 37, so you're talking about, uh, you mean, discipline or the importance of uh, keeping the scoreboard ticking at the top echelon of rugby, you mean that's exactly what you look for when you're creating a team about how you're going to get over the line. It's phenomenal um, statistics. So as long as he keeps doing that, uh, he's a beautiful uh, kicker of the ball. Actually, and his line kicking is is could be a big factor at the weekend. He kind of frequently five it- or six times in the game he gets touches of over 50, 60 metres, which hugely, I suppose, yeah. adds to France's set-piece mentality also. And doesn't it, doesn't it epitomise where French rugby is in terms of, you know, when we talk about strength and depth, he was in the Pro Do too, I think, with Perpignan, and, and they brought him to Australia last summer, and he was a revelation. Um, so, like, it just shows that these guys, the amount of talent they've scattered all over the country, the problem for the rest of us is they're, they're now beginning to find them and to pick them. Uh, so look, we leave the final word with you as always, Raj. Saturday, no, no, going to give, us ra- give it to Razor. He's our guest. He's he's given us his verdict on the match. Oh, you got to listen think, to what the I, other fellas. I, I agree. I, I, uh, I, yeah. I just think France at home. I think um, will be will be very very difficult to beat. But obviously, on current form, as Peter said, if there's a team to do it, I think Ireland are probably. Uh, really, really excited about this game. While in the past, maybe a lot of mindset with Irish teams going there would be we gotta, we gotta stop France playing. But I think Ireland will actually look to flip that in its head, and I think Ireland are gonna really attack this game, and uh, they'll have a few special players up their sleeve to look to pull apart the French team because, uh, you mean as you say, Don. Interestingly about Jaminet, he was found. Uh, and his, I suppose his bank of confidence is deep, but it's nowhere near as deep as I suppose as the relationships created among the Irish team. They've been playing with each other for a long period of time now and uh, building towards this World Cup. I think this is a crucial game that they look to take off on their way. Yeah, interesting. Listen, lads, it's been fascinating. Uh, Scott, really appreciate you uh, uh, staying up late at night and uh, giving us your thoughts. It's been fascinating. Uh, best of luck in the new Super Rugby season that's starting in the next week or two. We'll be watching you with interest from this side of the world. Uh, Peter, yeah. brilliant thank as you. always. So, lads, thank, thank you very much. Thank Enjoy you. Enjoy the weekend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know Cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain. I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 